Proverbs 4, verses 10 to 18. Proverbs 4, 10 to 18. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction, let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not in the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away, unless they, have caused, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. You may sit down. We are gathered here with joy this morning on this occasion. Give a special welcome to the family and friends of those who will be baptized, supporters, each of you that are here, and we welcome you in the name of Jesus. And a special welcome to the class, those of you that will be baptized here this morning. And God bless you during this time, uh, milestone in your lives. We rejoice with you. The title of the message this morning is The Path of the Just. And I'm wondering, as Dave read the text, if you thought about the references in that passage to the way, the path that we are walking. I may just point a few of those out to you before we move on. This is not necessarily the text for a message, but we're using it as a springboard. If your Bibles are still open to Proverbs chapter 4, notice verse 11 says, I have led thee in the right paths. Verse 12 says, when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Verse 14, enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Verse 18, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more onto the perfect way. Verse 19 refers to the way of the wicked. And then if we drop down to verse 26, again it says, Ponder the path of thy feet. This passage emphasizes that the path you choose to walk is very important. It's a significant decision that you make. And why is that path so important that you walk? Well, your path leads to your destiny. And not every path takes you where you want to go. Some of you may, have remember, may remember uh, John Ulap illustrating the fact that you have a choice, and you may choose the path that you want to take. And if you choose your path, when you get to the end, you will need to accept the destiny to which that path leads. Or you may choose the destiny at which you want to arrive, and then you will need to choose the path that leads to that destiny. And that's true for each one of us, not just for the young people this morning, not just for those who are teenagers or younger, it's for every one of us. Because from the 
place where you are standing this morning, there are many paths that you can choose that lead in all directions. And some of those paths are more attractive than other paths. Some of them may not have so much appeal. And our tendency is to consider the path rather than the destination to which it leads. Now you, those of you here in the front this morning, you have made a decision concerning the path that you're choosing to walk. And I commend you and I affirm you in that decision that you've made. And you are here today to give public testimony to that decision before God and before all those people gathered here. And your decision, I believe, is based on the destiny rather than the immediate appeal that is before you. I know that for some of you, standing up before 300 people and giving your public testimony does not have a lot of appeal. But you are looking at the destiny that this path leads, and I encourage you in that. So as we consider our path, there are two decisions we need to make. First of all, there's a decision on which path are we going to walk. And then when we make that decision, the following decision is, when we are on that path, how will we walk as we walk that path? Romans chapter 6 talks about being baptized into Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, we should walk in newness of life. And the focus of the message, the sermon this morning, is how we as believers, as new believers and as older believers, how we should walk as we are on the path that we have chosen. And it's been a privilege and a joy for me to spend the time with you that were in instruction class in the last months. And it's a privilege to preach here this morning, but I don't want you to look at this as a message from me. I want you to look at this as God's words for you. We'll be looking at God's direction from his words. And I pray that God's word will speak to you this morning. We will look to the Heavenly Father. I would like to invite each of you to turn to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at the Christian's walk, various aspects of our Christian's walk that are mentioned in the book of Ephesians. Now, the Bible refers to our walk in numerous places, and I have chosen to stick, for the most part, um, with the ones that are mentioned in the book of Ephesians. And the first one I'd like to look at, the first point, is walk in good works. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in what? In these good works. So the first point of our walk on the path of the just is that we walk in good works. Now I'd like to emphasize that we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works. And that is emphasized in this passage. Uh, verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of your works. It's not your works that saves you. It is the gift of God. And again, it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. That is where our salvation comes. From God's work. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not saved by our good works, but saved unto good works. As we walk this path, 
we need to walk a path of good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are saved not by our works, but saved unto works. Now, faith in God equals obedience to God. And obedience to God equals good works. So we could say that faith in God equals or leads us to good works. You know, there needs to be a connection between God and my life. I'm omnipotent God and me as a mere human on earth. There needs to be a connection. What is that connection? I would like to say that that connection is my faith in God. You see, the question is not how big is God? Because we know that God is big. The question is not, is God able? We know that God is able. But the question is, am I connected to God? Is there a connection between me and God? That connection is faith. I'd like you to, as an illustration for that, picture a tractor and a wagon. Picture a large tractor and a small wagon. The tractor represents God, the power of God. The wagon represents your life. Now, there's no question if the tractor has the power to pull the wagon. The tractor has the power. That is not the question. The question is, is the wagon connected to the tractor? If not, it makes no difference how much power that tractor has. And if you are not connected to God, what power will God's, or what, what um, influence will God's power have in your life? And I picture faith as the hitch pin that connects the wagon to the tractor. When you drop that pin through the wagon tongue into the drawbar of the tractor, now there is a connection. Now when the tractor moves, the wagon moves with it. Wherever the tractor goes, the wagon goes. You see there's obedience. There are good works. Now there is something coming forth from that wagon. There is motion. And when you put your faith in God, it makes the difference in your life and in your walk in life. Things begin to happen. You begin to go places with God. God moves and you move with him. And I think that prospect should excite us this morning. The fact that we can move, we can be connected to a powerful God. And that is what's going to produce the works in our life. You, you see, beforehand, the wagon could have said, well, I believe in the tractor. I believe there's power there. But that wagon is merely an inanimate object until it is connected by faith. So faith in God equals obedience to God. When God leads, you follow. That's what it means to walk in good works. So faith in God equals obedience to God. Obedience to God equals good works. People will recognize us as God's children by our good works. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruits. That is what workmanship is all about. A quality craftsman is known by the work that he produces. And I ask you the question this morning. Is God known, is God recognized by the work in your life? The work that he has done? When people see your life, when people see how you're living, do they see God? Will they recognize God at work in your life?
So the first part of our walk with Christ is to walk in good works. I'd like to move now to chapter 4, look at another walk. We need to walk worthy of our vocation. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, a tradesman obviously needs to possess certain skills. Can you imagine someone applying for a job in a cabinet shop? And uh, maybe the first day he gets on the job and someone asks him to measure a piece of wood. How, how long is this piece of wood? And he gets out his tape measure and he looks at it a little bit. And he says, well, it's 16 inches and three of those little marks, whatever they are. You know, he has to have a certain skill. He needs to know how to measure or to read a tape measure. Or what about someone who would apply for a secretary job, doesn't know how to type? An accountant who doesn't know how to work with numbers, to add and subtract. You know, there are certain skills that go along with a trade. Paul tells us here as Christians that we need to walk worthy of our vocation. I'd like to ask the question, what is your vocation? What vocation is Paul talking about? What trade is he talking about? What profession? Sometimes we refer to our trade as our profession. Well, I think we get the answer to that question in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. As Christians, our profession is our faith in Jesus Christ. So the vocation of a believer is to express his faith in God. How are we going to do that? The very next verse in Hebrews says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So here we come back to those good works again. It's starting to sound familiar. It's one of the skills of your profession. And the other is love. The skills of our profession is, are love and good works. I would like to say that love is the motivation for what we do. And then the good works are the expression of that love. Our love for God and the love of God flowing through us is what motivates, is the motivating drive in our profession, in our walk with God. And then our good works are simply the expression of that motivation. So a tradesman needs to possess certain skills. As a believer, as a Christian, we need to possess certain skills. And the two that I mentioned here are love and good works. Furthermore, a tradesman needs to use his skills. After all, what good does a skill do you if you do not use it? A worker who does not use his skills is not worth a whole lot. By the same token, a Christian who says, well, I have love, but does not walk in love, does not show that love, what love, what worth is that love to him? Faith without works is dead, James said. So a skill that is not used is not worth much. A tradesman needs to teach his skills. Notice this verse in Hebrews we read, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So it's not sufficient simply to have these skills. We need to show and teach those skills to others. On the job, in the workplace, a worker who is able to teach 
and to motivate other workers and stimulate them to a higher level of performance is a valuable worker. That is a worker who is worthy of his vocation. This is true on the job, but it's also true in the Christian life. So as we walk worthy of our vocation, we need to not only use our skills, but we need to be willing to teach our skills to others, to those around us. And there's something else about our skills. A worker needs to sharpen his skills. And perhaps some of you are thinking, well, okay, so what if I don't have these skills? If I don't have the skill of love, if I don't have the skill of good works, does that mean I can't be a Christian? Does that mean I cannot be a believer? God gives on-the-job training. He will receive you, and he will train you on the job. One time I had a job interview, and the person that was uh, speaking to me made this comment. He says, we like to hire people with no experience, because that way we can train them the way we want them. And God is willing to accept you without experience, but he wants to train you. He wants to develop that in you. He is eager to train. Now, that same employer that I was talking to went on to say, after several months, we will have an evaluation, and we will look at how you're doing. And he didn't really say it in so many words, but the connotation was, if you don't learn, you're out of here. We'll teach you, but you need to be willing to learn. And as a believer, we need to be willing to learn. God anticipates progress. We never reach the point where we can no longer improve. So let us walk worthy of our vocation. Allow God to give you on-the-job training. Make it your goal to continue to grow in your walk with him every day. Let's look at the third walk. Move now to chapter 5 and verse 2. Walk in love. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what we were just talking about? We see this same tendency following through. It was one of the skills of your vocation, remember? Love and good works. Now we are told to walk in love. So this is not just simply an on-the-job performance issue. This is a lifestyle. This is day in and day out. God is looking to us as his children to walk in love. Why should we walk in love? Well, first of all, we are recognized by our walk. We are recognized by how we walk. When I grew up, or when I was a young child, we lived in an old farmhouse. And I can still picture, as a youngster, being sent to bed, perhaps earlier than some of the rest of the family. And I can still remember lying in bed and hearing other people come up those old wooden stairs. And I could tell who was coming up the steps simply by listening to their footsteps. I think some of you can identify with that. You hear someone walk, and you know if this is dad, or if it's mom, or if it's a brother or sister, simply by the way they walk. And you too will be recognized by the way you walk, as you walk the Christian life. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love, one to another. Let us walk in love. Are you recognized by your love for others? Are you recognized in the community as a loving 
caring person or are you recognized as someone that doesn't care a bit about others? What about at school? What about at home? You were hoping I wouldn't mention that one, right? Do your brothers and sisters recognize you by your love? Or do people say, well, you know, I thought he was a Christian, but I'm really not sure. He doesn't, he doesn't walk like one. I don't recognize his walk. Or do they say, you know, I can't really see that person's face. I can't recognize him, but I can tell by his walk who he is. I can tell that he's a Christian. People will recognize you by your walk. Don't leave people wondering who you are. Walk in such a way that they can recognize you, even from a distance, if they can't see your face. I can tell by how that person is walking that he is a Christian. So we are recognized by our walk, but more than that, we will be remembered by our walk. A number of years ago, when our family was living in Romania and our children were quite young, I remember one particular day, uh, I don't know exactly what the children were doing, they were kind of shuffling around there, and um, shuffling around in a rather unique way, and I overheard one of them say to the other, I'm walking like Grandpa walks. You see, Grandpa's circumstances left him with a, a very peculiar walk, a particular gait. And his grandchildren noticed that. They liked their Grandpa. And even though they lived 5,000 miles away from their Grandpa, they looked up to him. And they wanted to walk like Grandpa walked. People will remember how you walk. They will remember you by your walk. Will they remember you for your love? By what do you want them to remember you? And when people imitate you, what aspect of your life will they imitate you? Remember, they will remember you by your walk. Perhaps there are some aspects of your walk that you may need to change as you think about people following in your footsteps. We are also reminded how we should walk, how we should walk in love. We are told to walk in love in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love, but then Paul reminds us how we need to do that, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given us for an offering and a sacrifice to God. As you walk the path of the just, remember there is no sacrifice that is too great. Christ gave everything he had for you. God gave the best he had for you. Is there any sacrifice that is too great for us to give for him or for others? Let us walk in love. Let's move on to chapter 5 and verse 8. And we'll find another way we need to walk as we walk the pathway. Walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 8 says, For ye sometimes, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We need to walk in light. And we need to recognize, as we think about walking in the light, that we were not necessarily born in the light. We did not start our life in the light. We were in darkness. That's what this verse says. For ye were sometimes, that means that at one time, ye were in darkness. That's where we come from. 
Isaiah 9.2, another verse. Part of that verse says, The people walked in darkness. They dwelled, they dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Do you know what it's like to walk in darkness? Walking in darkness is not pleasant. A number of years ago, I visited a cave. And uh, as we were touring that, ca- that cave, our guide told us a story. He said one time he was preparing to lead a group of visitors into the cave. And just as they were enter- about to enter the cave, someone drove into the parking lot, came running up to them and said, are you going to go into the cave? He said, yeah, we're planning to. Do you show total darkness in the cave? Well, we usually do. Well, can I go with you? Well, you need to go get your ticket, and then you can come along. Will you wait for me? Yeah, we'll wait. And he thought this young man seemed a little bit peculiar, but he wasn't quite sure what it was about. So he went and got his ticket, and uh, he joined them in their group, and they were touring the cave, and the guide was telling about different aspects of the cave. And after a while, he said, um, okay, now I'm going to turn the lights off and let you experience some total darkness. He said, as soon as he said that, this young man just stepped off to the side a little bit. And what happened, this young man was wearing glow-in-the-dark shoelaces. And as soon as he turned the lights off, this man started jumping up and down, and those shoelaces started flopping in the dark. And there was one woman in that group that simply went hysterical. She saw those flashing whatever it was over there, and all she assumed was that there was some monster lurking in the darkness that was about ready to devour her. And she could not wait to get out of that cave. She was, she was simply lost it. You see, living in darkness can be terrifying. And we hear testimonies as people share their testimonies of what it was like before they were a Christian. As they were in darkness, and any little abnormality would terrify them, and they would lose it. That's what it's like to walk in darkness. But that's not where we're left as Christians. We are in the light. We were in darkness. We are in the light. Let's look at the next phrase of Ephesians 5.8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. This is a tremendous change. You were in darkness. You are in light. Isaiah 9.2, again. Let's look at the remainder of the verse. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So if you were in darkness, we are in the light. What is the encouragement of this passage? Not only simply to think about where we are and where where we were and where we are, but look to the future and determine that you will continue to walk in the light. And this verse, Ephesians 5.8, brings out all three steps. For ye were sometimes in the darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk, or continue to walk in the light. Walk as children of light. 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with God as we walk with him, as he is in light. Fellowship with each other. Now, I would just like to encourage you, especially as young people, but each one of us, as we walk 
there are times and there will be times that we stumble. There will be times that we fall. And our tendency when we blow it, as it were, when we stumble, when we fall, our tendency is to run back into the darkness. Our tendency is to hide in the darkness. But Paul's encouragement to you here is, you are in the light. Walk in the light. Continue to walk in the light. I'd like to consider the words of Jesus in John 3 as he was meeting with Nicodemus. He says, this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Now that is not the condemnation. The next part is that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And sometimes we're like insects when you pick up a rock and they're exposed to the light. They just scramble for the darkness. When our evil deeds are exposed, we scramble for the darkness. But let us not fear the light. Let us follow the light. Jesus went on to say, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. Let us continue to walk in the light. Well, does Paul have any more advice for us in the book of Ephesians? Let's go on to chapter 5 and verse 15. There's another walk that is mentioned here. We should walk circumspectly. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Well, let's just look at this word a little bit. The first part of the word is circum. And that means around. You think of circumference. You measure the distance around something. So circum has to do with around. And spect, as we know, has to do with looking at something. A spectator is someone who watches something. So what Paul is saying here, walk circumspectly. You are supposed to walk looking all around you. Look around you as you walk on the path of the just. Now, why should we look around us? What should we be looking at? Sometimes we're told, well, don't worry about the people around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and that is true. But there are some reasons why we need to look around us. One is to protect what you have. I recall taking scraps out to the chickens, and sometimes I would enjoy, rather than throwing the whole pan of scraps down, just throwing one scrap down at a time. And one chicken would grab it, and all the other chickens would come running. That one chicken was concerned that he was going to lose what he had. So instead of eating it, he'd run all around through that chicken coop, just trying to stay away from the other chickens that were trying to steal what he has. He was looking where those other chickens were. I guess you could say that chicken was running circumspectly. He was looking around him at all those other chickens. And the truth is... Satan is going to try to destroy. He's going to try to steal what you have. He's going to try to take your peace. He's going to try to take your love, your joy, your fellowship with the gospel. He's going to try to steal the truth from your life. He's even going to try to steal your salvation. Let us walk circumspectly to protect what we have. Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 4. Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seeds. And where he, those seeds fell. And he mentioned that 
the seeds that are fell by the, fell by the wayside, these are they where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the seed that was sown in their hearts. Let us walk circumspectly to not lose what we have. And there's another reason why we need to walk circumspectly, and it's to avoid the sting of death. I remember as a young boy running barefoot through the grass, and it so happened that Calvin Lapp did not live near to us when I was a little boy, and our grass was full of clover flowers. And where there's clover flowers, there are bees. And bees and barefoot boys don't get along so well together. And I learned to walk circumspectly as I walked through the grass. I would look where I was going because I knew that stepping on a bee was not a pleasant experience. So we need to walk circumspectly to avoid the sting of death. Now, we might not be walking through a clover field this morning. We're walking through a minefield. It's worse than just simply a bee sting. Some armies, when they're at war, they plant explosives, hide them in the sand or under the growth or whatever, so that when someone steps on that, it explodes And in this way, they destroy the enemy. Christian life is walking through a minefield. Satan has all kinds of explosives planted in your pathway. That's why you need to walk circumspectly. His intent is to blow you away. Your intent is to be alert, to be watchful, to be aware Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says to the Galatians, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God onto another gospel. Let us not be removed from the gospel of Christ. Let us walk circumspectly so that Satan cannot destroy us. Now, I'd like to move on just a bit as we work towards a conclusion here, move on just a little bit from the book of Ephesians. I'd like to look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, where we see the words, walk with me in white. This is what we have to look forward to. So far, the first five points was how we walk here on the earth. In the letter to the church at Sardis, John wrote, Thou hast a few which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, I notice that each of you six young people this morning have chosen to wear white. I think that's beautiful. I think that's appropriate. I think it's representative of that day that you have to look forward to when you will stand in the presence of the one that you are confessing here this morning. Do you look forward to that? Do you look forward to walking with him in white? Today, you are confessing Christ in faith. Someday, You will stand before him and your faith will be sight. As you follow the path of the just, as you walk faithfully in good works, 
As you walk worthy of your vocation, as you walk in love, as you walk in children of light, as you walk circumspectly, you can anticipate and you can look forward, each one of you can look forward to walking with him, side by side, perhaps hand in hand, dressed in dazzling white throughout eternity. Dear friend, walk faithfully. Throw aside the weights that hold you back. Be mindful of your destination. I'd like to close with just a bit of a personal word from 3 John, verses 3 and 4, where John says, I rejoice greatly that thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, those of you getting baptized this morning, most of you are not my children. I have the privilege to call one of you my daughter. But even though you may not be my child, we spent a lot of time together in the last months. And you're special to me. And I want you to know that I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be watching how you walk. I pray that you will walk in God's truth because so much of what the world has to offer is not truth. The world will try to deceive you and the world will try to lead you off the path of truth. Follow the path of truth. Follow the path of the just. But you know, I'm not the only one that's going to be, walk, be watching your walk. There are other people here who have invested a lot in your lives. I think of your parents, your grandparents, perhaps brothers and sisters, school teachers. These people will be watching you. Don't let them down. Don't disappoint them. But most of all, you have a heavenly father who invested more in you than anyone else that's here this morning. And he will be watching your walk every moment of every day. He will be watching the path that you choose to walk from here forward. Don't disappoint him. Walk in truth. And don't give up until you've reached your destination at the end of the path where you can walk with him in white through eternity. I'd like to close with a prayer, and I'm going to invite you, if you're able, if it's convenient where you are, to kneel with us for prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to be gathered together here in your presence with you. Thank you, Lord, that you walked the path before us. You came to earth to give us an example. Not only to give us an example, but, Lord, I thank you for the path of suffering and love that you walked so that we can walk with you in newness of life. Lord, I pray that you'd be with these six young people here this morning especially as they continue their journey with you. That each day they would place their hand in yours 
and walk the path that you lay before them. Lord, I pray that each one of us could be gathered together in your presence and walk with you in shining white throughout eternity. Thank you again for this blessed privilege. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.